You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. In Luke 14, we're going to read here a parable. It starts in verse 16. Jesus gives this parable. In Luke 14, 16, the Bible says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Great excuse there, brother. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. The servant said in verse 22, Lord... It is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be full. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Lord, I pray that you'd use this passage this morning. God, would you please meet with us? Would you speak to our hearts? God, I pray that if there's someone here even this morning that doesn't know for sure that heaven's their home, they've never placed their faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to take them to heaven for eternal life. God, I pray that they, this morning would be the day of their salvation. God, I pray that uh, this morning you would use me, not that I am anything in and of, my, of myself, but yet may I step aside and let you work. God, will give you all the praise for what you do in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. A parable... For the most simplest definition, we could say that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus, many times, as we read the Gospels, spake in parables. Now, this past summer, uh, Brother Caleb and I and uh, Jared Colbernat and Mark Bybee, we were the skit crew, and we enjoyed reenacting some of the parables that Jesus gave us. And just a disclaimer, if you go back and watch those on Facebook or wherever they're, they're posted, um, they are not entirely biblically accurate, but we did have a good time with it. Uh, my, my son, Michael, who's two years old, he actually enjoyed them as well, and he watched every single one of them. And one of them, I, I could probably say was his favorite, uh, which was the parable of the sower. And the, the sower would, would go and, and sow seeds and it'd fall on, on the different ground. I'm sorry, not that parable. That was the other parable that he liked. Uh, the other parable, his most favorite, was uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I was, I was wondering, Brother Nathan, where, where are you going with this? That's where we're going. The Good Samaritan. And uh, in that parable, I was the Good Samaritan. And Mark Bybee, he was the poor, unfortunate soul that got beat up by the robbers and left for dead. And so in, in that parable, I came and I helped Mark. Well, during the uh, nighttime when we're getting ready to tuck him in bed, sometimes we read to him, it's a five-minute Bible story book, and uh, they have parables in there, and, and Michael always asked for the parable of the Good Samaritan. However, he, didn't, uh, he doesn't call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. He just simply says, Daddy, help Mark. 
That's what I want. Daddy, help Mark. And I'm not looking forward to the day when he finds out that Daddy is not in the Bible helping Mark. But Jesus speaks in parables, and he spoke here in a, as a parable, a story, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We find that uh, Jesus would often use the current situation that he was in or use his surroundings to give a story and give an application. Uh, here we find Jesus, if you look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy, and Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and the Pharisees there in the room, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace, and he took him and healed him and let him go. And uh, then Jesus starts to uh, give some parables. In the first one, he gives a parable of the feast. And then he gives the parable that we just read about another feast. And so this morning, with the time that we have, and I won't be long, I heard that Chick-fil-A is giving away free sandwiches if you get there before 12, so we'll make sure to end before then. I'm not going to get your hopes up for Chick-fil-A. They're not open on Sunday, people. Come on. Uh, but anyway, we have this parable here, and I'd like to just identify some elements in this parable and give some application and some, some truth that we can take with us this morning. In verse 16, we'll notice we find a man. It was a certain man, and he had some servants. He's later referred to as Lord by the servant, and he's referred to as a master. And so if you're taking notes this morning, that first element in this parable, number one, is the master. The master. Now this master was a lowercase m. We're not referring to God here. Uh, in the parable, but yet the, the meaning, the heavenly meaning here is that we do have a master, and we are his servants. Capital M, master, that's God. Jesus is our master, or he should be. You know, Jesus doesn't just want to be your savior. Jesus also wants to be your Lord. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't just need to be your savior. Jesus needs to be your Lord. Yes, we can go to Him for salvation. I'm thankful that Jesus is my Savior. But more than just being my Savior, I have chosen to make Jesus my Lord. He is the one that I answer to. He is the one that I live for. Jesus loved us. Jesus died for us. He gave us His life. He was willing to experience death for you and for me. So the question is, are we willing to live for Him? Jesus wants to be your Lord. Jesus wants to be your master. Is he this morning? We must acknowledge who the master is. And I'm glad that I know who Jesus is. We have that song in the hymnal, I'm glad I know who Jesus is. He's more than just a story. He is the king of glory. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus is this morning? We often ask, do you know Jesus, when we're talking about someone and we'd like to give the gospel to them and tell them what Jesus did for them on the cross. But we should also ask the question, does Jesus know you? Because it's not just a one-sided relationship. Yes, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, that, that is the most important thing, but we also must get to know Jesus. We also must have a walk with Him. Not to get to heaven, but yet we, we ought to have a relationship because God wants to have a relationship with us. So could I ask you this morning, does Jesus know you personally? 
Do you walk with him and talk with him? Do you spend time with our Lord and our master? Matthew 7 and verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We can do a lot of things in the name of Jesus, but if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it doesn't matter. Jesus, he is our master. And this certain man here in the parable, he made a great supper. He made a great feast. And so, number two, not only do we see the master, but we see, number two, the feast. Could I say, this is my favorite part, the feast. Any good Baptist likes to eat. Any good Baptist likes to talk about food. And I apologize that I'm talking about food around lunchtime. But I'm not the pastor, so you can, you can get mad at me. It's okay. But yet, we have this feast. And, and some say that they eat to live, but I say I live to eat, brother. I love food. And uh, so we have this certain man who didn't just make a feast, but he made a great supper, a great supper. I think of some great feasts that I've been a part of, and I'm not going to go into too much detail. I don't want to hurt you too badly. But has anybody ever heard of Fogo de Chao? Raise your hand. Fogo de Chao, anybody? A few of us. My wife, good. My wife does. Wonderful. Well, Fogo de Chao, it's a, it's, I guess it's a chain because there's more than one, but it's a Brazilian steakhouse. And there in California, before uh, I, uh, we got married, my wife and I, uh, before we got married, uh, myself and my groomsmen and my dad and my grandpa, we went to Fogo de Chao, and we had a feast, let me tell you. They give you these coasters. On one side, it's red. On the other side, it's green. And uh, we all know, and my son now knows, green means go, and red means stop. And so when you're, when you're sitting there and you're ready to eat, you turn that coaster to green. And as you, as you turn that coaster to green, you have the waiters coming out, and they've got these long skewers. Like, they look like swords. And they've got these huge, uh, juicy pieces of meat hanging off of that thing, and they go around and they ask you if you'd like a piece, and they'll slice you a piece. And there's different variations. And let me tell you, as you keep that thing green for very long, you're going to have a plate just piled up with meat. And it's amazing. It's good. And, and then if you want to take a break, you just flip that thing over to red and, and you just let it kind of seep in the cracks a little bit, get ready for the second round and then turn it back over to green and keep on going. And that, that is a great feast. Delicious. And I'm sorry for making you go through that. I think I could take some Fogo de Chao right now. But could I say the master, our master, Jesus Christ, he's preparing a feast as well. And it's, it's much greater than any other feast that we can muster up here on this earth. The feast that the master prepares is the feast of eternal life. The feast of eternal life where there is no death. The feast that our master Jesus prepares is a feast of the victorious Christian life where there is no fear. We see the feast of the spirit-filled life where there is no carnality. He prepares us the feast of the blessed life where there is no curse. The feast of the joyful life where there is no hopelessness. The feast of the fulfilled life where there is no emptiness. 
And Jesus prepares that feast for every single one of us. Specific to this parable, we're going to be talking about the gospel feast. Because Jesus, uh, he's giving this parable, but he's, he's introducing something that's to come. It's called the gospel. It's called the thing that, that people are invited to partake of. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, he lived and he died on the cross for you and he rose again from the grave in victory over sin and death. And he offers it to us as eternal life, the gift of heaven. We have this feast that Jesus prepares for us. And as the song goes, come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitudes turned the water into wine. To the hungry, he calleth now, come and dine. And Jesus invites to the feast. Not only do we see the master, we see the feast. And then let's continue reading there in verse 16. It says, Then he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. We have here the invitation. The feast is ready. The master gives the invitation. And it's assumed here that the invitation was given, specifically in this parable and, and according to the gospel, it was, it was uh, it given an invitation to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. They were invited to come and partake of the gospel. That was God's chosen people. This invitation, Jesus bade, or the, the, the certain man here bade many. We can see that Christ invited the whole nation and people of Israel to partake of the benefits of the gospel. The gospel was first offered to the Jews, God's chosen people. But then as the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah, God said, okay, I'm going to go to the Greeks. I'm going to go to the Gentiles, those that are not Jewish. And I'm going to offer them as well this gift of the gospel, this gospel feast, if you will. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 10.12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was customary here in the Bible times that as someone would, would invite someone to a, a feast, that you would initially send the invitation, invite who you wanted to invite, and then once the meal was ready, you would send for, for your guests to come, saying, okay, the meal's ready, come on. That's exactly what we see here. We have this master, we have this Lord who makes this feast ready, and he's invited, he bade many. Many were, were to come. And then when he was expecting a huge turnout, he went and sent his servant to go tell everybody that was invited, okay, dinner time, supper time, it's ready. And then we find something incredible. We find some excuses, and we're going to get into these excuses. But could I, could I bring to your attention, as, as we can apply this to sharing the gospel with somebody, telling them and inviting them that there is a feast that you can partake of, a lot of times when I would go and knock on doors, soul winning time, or when I talk with somebody, have a conversation and try to share the gospel with them, a lot of times my fear in doing so was, Lord, I, I hope I'm convincing enough 
that they would want to trust Christ as their Savior. Lord, I, I hope that I form my words to where I can get them to, to want to accept Jesus. And then I thought about it for a little bit. <laughs> That's a little bit faulty in my thinking. Because it's not me who does the convincing. It's my job and it's your job as Christians to be the messengers of the gospel. We are the vessel. We are the conduit to where uh, God uses us to deliver the message. What we have to know is we have to know the material. We have to know the gospel to, to be able to share the gospel. That's logic. But yet when it comes to convincing and, and convicting somebody of their sin, that's not our job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So maybe I, I can help you in, in that area. When you're witnessing to somebody, realize that you are going not alone. You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit with you that's going to be convicting, that's going to be helping you as, as you give the message. And as you give the message, the Holy Spirit's working on that individual's heart. And so it's not up to us to produce the results. It's up to us just to be obedient. This servant, we see, he was obedient in giving out the invitation, and he was obedient in bidding them to come. But then after the invitation was given, we have number four, the excuses. Look there with me in, in verse 18. The Bible says, And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. We see here many excuses, and there was probably many, many more excuses, but we have three that were listed. We know there was more than just three invited to this supper. I looked up the definition of excuse. So reason or explanation put forward to defend or justify a fault or offense. An expression of regret for failure to do something. We can all give excuses. Matter of fact, I, I, can, I can probably be pretty good at giving excuses. Yet the fact of the matter is, when we look at this world, when we look at creation, when we know who the master is, you can go outside and, and, and look at this beautiful earth that God has, has created. We can go outside and look at the sky that goes on forever. How beautiful it is. And there is no way that someone could look outside and look at the, the God's creation, look at the trees, and look how, even under a microscope, how detailed everything is, and reject that there is a designer, and reject that there is a creator. It's obvious. It's obvious that there's a God. Romans 120 says this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and, foolish, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. We all acknowledge that there is a creator. We all understand in our heart that there is a God. All we have to do is go out and see the creation that God made. But yet, the Bible says that even, even still, they knew God. They glorified Him not as God. They went and made themselves their own gods. We see that across many religions. 
across this world, how they make their own gods out of, out of wood and stone and, and, and precious metals. But there is no excuse. When we try to make excuses, whether it's to accept Jesus Christ or to reject Him, or uh, if we try to make an excuse as to why we can't do something for the Lord, what excuses do is it, it, it reveals, does, it, it reveals our priorities. Our excuses reveal our priorities. Oh yeah, we have time for God, but yet we just don't want to take the time. Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You have your priority list as God at the top. And if God's at the top, he'll make everything else fall into place. Let's not make excuses as to why we can't live for God today. Yeah, we have a pandemic, so they call it, and, and this coronavirus that's been going on. Let's not let that cause us to fear. Let's not let a, a disease, a sickness, cause us to shut our mouths about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can still talk to people, folks. We can still go out and be witnesses for Christ. Let's not make an excuse as to why we, we give up the, the very main purpose why we're here. We're the messengers. We're supposed to be that to give the gospel to the world, as Jesus told us at the end of his gospels. As we look specifically as, at these excuses that these men gave why they couldn't attend the supper, these excuses were a direct insult. To refuse an invitation at the last moment in those times was an unpardonable breach of etiquette. It still is. That's not very nice of you. You're invited. Oh, yep, yeah, I'm coming. I marked it on my calendar. Here's the day. Here's the time. I'll be there. Don't worry. And then the time comes and supper's ready. And they say, okay, come on. It's time to come. Where are you? Oh, I'm sorry. Something came up. Here's my excuse. I bought some land. And uh, I tell you what, I bought the land. I haven't seen it. And so I got to go see it. Well, first of all, if you're going to buy a piece of land, it's probably a good thing to do to go see it first before you buy it. Because you have no idea what you're going to purchase. This excuse appears to be hollow. It's empty. It showed his complacency or his self-satisfaction in the things of this world. He could have waited. Well, if he hadn't seen it at all, that's, that's probably not a wise move. But if you've already seen the land and you've purchased the land, can it? Can't it wait until tomorrow? Can't you go to the feast? So we see here this excuse doesn't really hold much water. Number two, we have the oxen. The man says, oh, I bought, I bought oxen and I've got to go prove them. This is probably a worse excuse than the first one, right? Because the oxen, you're not going to buy an animal without proving them first for the job that you need them to do. Because if you buy the oxen, and you find out that they're not going to do what you need them to do, it's worthless. You just wasted your money. And so it's probably not a good idea. But this showed his care and concern about the world, the things of this world. How often do we get so distracted? How often do we let the things of this world distract us from what we actually should be doing as Christians? My hand is up. I'm guilty of that. How often do we use an excuse saying, oh, Lord, I, I, I can't talk to this person. I, I know I see them. I know there's time to go and talk to them. Or, Lord, I, I know you've given us this word, and it's your Bible, and I want to live it. I, I want to follow it. But yet, I, I'm just, I got a busy day today. I, I don't have time, Lord. And 
Lord, I, I know I haven't spent some time in prayer and, and talked with you, and, uh, but, but, but Lord, you, you just under, understand where I'm at, my situation. I mean, I've got some obligations I've got to go to. When God invites you to spend time with him, when God invites you to read his word, when God, when God commands you to do something that he expects of us as Christians, would we do it? Would we not just make up an excuse like these men? This third excuse was, oh, I got married. I have a wife now. I can't go. It is true during that time that once you got married, that first year you're off the hook with having to serve in a war. You don't have to go to war for the first year. Congratulations. But yet this did not apply to a feast. I've got a novel idea. This, this guy, he, he could have brought his wife with him. huh? That, that's a good idea. Bring her with. She's invited too. But he didn't. These excuses were filled with the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of this life. Each excuse differs from the other, and each has its own plausibility, but all come to the same result. And that same result is saying we have other things to attend. We have more pressing things to get to. My, uh, my previous pastor in Geneseo, Illinois, our pastor's dad, He's with the Lord now. He used to always say this. Almost without fail, every time he preached, he would mention this. And it stuck with me. You've probably heard the, the saying before. There are two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. How true is that? We've got an obligation. We've got a duty. We've got a delight to please the Lord. And so let's not waste the time pleasing ourselves. Now we see... Going further on, we see the excuses, and now we have this servant. Let's talk about this servant here in verse 21. The Bible says, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then uh, the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the, mind, uh, and the maimed and the halt and the blind. As Christ is our master, so we should be his servant. You see, this servant here, he did exactly what he should have done. The master said, go, the servant went. Master said, do this, the servant obeyed. As God instructs us to do what we should be doing, let us obey, let us not uh, give excuses. I'm glad the servant was faithful. We can see that here. These other men that were invited obviously weren't. But let us be faithful servants to Jesus Christ in telling others about the gospel feast and so much more as we see the day approaching. I wonder, do we give God excuses as to why we can't serve him or obey what he's commanded us to do? Could I ask you, can God count on you to fulfill your duties? And they're not duties once you make them your delight because you want to please your master, you want to please God. But can God count on you? We see this servant here, he was faithful. Number six, we see the time. Look there in verse 21. The phrase says, the master, go out quickly. I tell you what, you go to a feast, you've got this feast made, it's all hot, you see the steam going off the food, it's ready, and then your servant comes and, and tells you, oh, master, I'm sorry, Lord, there's nobody coming. They, they've all made an excuse that there's nobody. Of course, that master would be angry, but he's, he's, he just made all this food. It's available. 
Who's going to eat it now? Man, we've got to go out quickly. Let's not waste any time. Hey, servant, go. Go and bring in the maimed. Bring in the poor. Bring in the blind. Bring in those that can't help themselves. Bring them in. Bring them in. And so we see that the time is short. We see that the time is it's not going to last forever as food doesn't last forever. I don't know about you, but I don't like eating cold food. Do you? The food isn't going to last forever unless it's a McDonald's cheeseburger. That might last forever. The feast was ready. There was no time to spare. Don't get too caught up in the affairs of this world. This world won't be here forever. Let us promptly respond to the invitation of the master. And as the opportunity, we realize won't be there forever. Romans 13, 11 says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. This life is just a vapor. And compared to eternity, our lives are just a small dot on the scale. We've got to realize that, you know, okay, I've already tasted the feast. And I, I've already uh, partook in, in the gospel of Christ. I've already received Christ as my Savior. I'm good. No worries. But what about your neighbor who hasn't heard? Yeah, you've got all the time in, in the world now because, because you know where you're going when you die. But yet, what about those that don't know? And what about those opportunities that you know that you have on a daily basis just to share the gospel with somebody? Let's not be so concerned with our lives when we realize that, hey, the time is still running out. This world is going to end or either uh, lives are, are going to end in death. But even though we're taking care of, let's, let's care enough about the others that haven't tasted of the feast yet. Let's care about the others that haven't come yet to this gospel feast. The time is short. It doesn't last forever. Number seven, we see this next element of the parable, the poor, maimed, halt, and blind in verse 21. That's who the master wanted to bring in. Hey, bring in anybody who you can. It doesn't matter. Just bring them in. We see back in verse 13, Jesus ended that first parable about the feast, which we're not covering this morning. He said, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. You know what's so great about the poor, the maimed, the blind, the halt? They have nothing to give in return. You bless them, you give them the opportunity to, to partake in this feast. They don't have anything to give back to you. You'll be blessed at the end. But wasn't that us? Remember when you trusted Christ as your Savior? Remember the wreck that you were? Man, just a, a lost sinner. Man, we're wretched. We're dirty. We're poor. We're maimed. We're hopeless. There's, there's no hope for us outside of Jesus Christ. And yet when we went to that gospel feast and we uh, made Jesus our Savior and our Lord, then hey, we're no longer that hopeless, wretched sinner. We're now a sinner saved by grace. And I'm so glad that when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see how wretched and poor and needy and hopeless I was. But yet when he looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ applied to my account. He knows that Jesus paid for my sins. He knows that I've accepted him as my Savior. And that's all, all God sees when he sees me. He sees Jesus. And I'm thankful 
that yes, our past may not have been bright. Our past was, we, that's our testimony, we're poor. But yet God gave us so many riches through His grace. Ephesians 2.12 says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now we've been uh, invited to this gospel feast. We've been invited to partake of eternal life. I'm so thankful that God saw me, that God loved me, and God died for me. The last point, and we'll be done. I see the room. Look there in verse 22. After all the poor, the maimed, and the halt, and the blind in the city were brought there, we have in verse 22, And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And then the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges. Go outside of the city now, and let's compel them to come in. Let's urge them to come in, that my house may be full. There's room. It was customary in those times that one did not begin to eat dinner until all the guests had arrived. And when that master saw the feast and saw the amount of chairs at the tables, and he saw that there's still room, he said, okay, I want you to go even further now. I want you to go out in the highways and hedges, those travelers that are just passing by. I want you to go and invite them to the feast. They can come and partake too. Aren't you glad that salvation isn't just for the Jewish people, but it's for the Gentiles as well? That's us this morning. That's us this morning. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And that was offered to us because there is room. And may I say to you this morning, if you don't know for sure Christ is your Savior, that there is room. There's room at the cross for you. There is room. Everyone has received the invitation. Jesus invites everyone to the cross. Could I challenge you? Could I motivate you and encourage you this morning when the Master bids you? When the Master invites you? Go! Go! Praise God, he included me. And there's still room at the cross for you. I'd like to take the hymnal here. There's a song. There's a song here on uh, 164, Room at the Cross for You. I'd like to read the, the lyrics to this song. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide. And its grace so free is sufficient for me and deep is its fountain as wide as the sea. The chorus goes, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend and have turned from the sins they have sinned, the Savior still waits to open the gates and welcome a sinner before it's too late. The hand of my Savior is strong and the love of my Savior is long. Though, uh, through sunshine or rain, through loss or in gain, the blood flows from Calvary to cleanse every stain. There is room at the cross for you. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.